When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. There's a lot of things to consider. Let's do it. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks as always, making your way here, checking out the series. I always so appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't hit that subscribe button, that always does a world of good for us over here too. Uh, put out three new interviews every single week. New one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it is a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists. Discover some new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions. Or anywhere you get your podcast from, subscribe to Kyle Meredith with... And I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, I'm going to be talking with Eels. In fact, uh, Frontman E, we're going to be catching up about his uh, new album, Extreme Witchcraft, an album that arrives just over a year from 2020's Earth to Dora. The indie rock legend going to tell us about working with John Parrish for the first time since 2001's Soul Jacker, how this new album came to be looked at as a uh, continuation of that record, taking some inspiration from some 70s soul on a few of the tracks, and the lyrics looking at mortality, aging, and how we consider ourselves. Now, he's also going to look back to the early 2000s as we uh, remember fan reactions to his musical turn during Soul Jacker. Then we'll back it up to 1991, the 30th anniversary of his major label debut, A Man Called E, back uh, even before the Ills moniker had taken effect, back when he was just called E. Uh, he tells us about getting signed before he had ever performed live and being the opener for Tori Amos that year. So let's get into it, shall we? Extreme Witchcraft is the new album. It's Kyle Meredith with Eels. Hello. I always got to say this. Um, you're one of my all-time favorite uh, songwriters and musicians, and Extreme Witchcraft is so good. And I would probably start every interview that I would ever do with you with that line right there because I mean it every time. But, uh, but man, I, I love this record. Congratulations again on it. Wow, thanks, man. Well, that's why I keep coming back. That's the, just this? Wait. Yeah, just for that part. Okay. Thanks. This is great. Bye. <laughs> if only it were that easy. If only it were that easy. You frequently throughout the years have done quick records, quick follow-ups, however you want to say that. And uh, Earth Adora was just last year. 
but because the timing, I wondered, does this one follow it up so quickly just because you weren't able to tour that record? Is that, is that part of uh, how we get this within a year of that one? Yeah, I'm sure that has something to do with it. Like, what else are you going to do? Are you the kind of person who needs to be busy? Uh, I mean, was there just like, the, or, or could you have just turned off and not done a record? Yeah, I, I wasn't actually looking to make a record uh, when it suddenly just sort of organically happened. I didn't, yeah, because I felt like, you know, it hasn't been that long since the last one. So uh, it wasn't on my mind. And then out of the blue one night, I got a text from Mark Romanic, who had directed the very first Eels video all those years ago. And I hadn't heard from him in many years. And he just wanted to tell me that he'd been listening to the Soul Jacker album a lot lately. And that just got me thinking about John Parrish, who I made most of the Soul Jacker album with. And uh, I just thought, mm, maybe I should see what he's up to and if he's interested in seeing what we might make now. And it just turned out to be good timing. He happened to be in between a couple of projects and uh, he immediately started sending me stuff and it just began a rapid fire back and forth. And then you know, a few weeks later, we had an album. What you all did on that record, of course, um, as far as I'm concerned anyway, is absolutely classic. What's the recipe that you all make together? What, what, you know, what, what, how do you see it, you know? When you put together what comes out, what's the strength of your partnership, uh, you and Parrish? Well, the, you know, the fun thing about collaborating with anyone is getting things out of someone that you wouldn't get out of yourself. You know, there's no point in working with someone that's just going to do what you would do anyway. So, and, and John Parrish, when I work with him, he just has such a unique sonic palette. I don't know anyone else. It sounds like him. So it's, you know, it's just fun to get to mix it up and put your contributions in with that. Do you find that uh, on this record that it changed, like what changed for you in the way you wrote a song, if anything? Well, the biggest difference was it was, you know, it was all pandemic recording between Bristol, England, where he is and Los Angeles, where I am. And actually, that's how the Soul Jacker album started, whenever that was, 20 years ago or whatever. And that started with him sending me some stuff over from England, and then I had to do it here in Los Angeles. But then he flew over, and we did most of the record in the same room in my studio after that. So this one was all done that way because of the pandemic, of course. And uh, it's... It's a very different way of, of working and it's probably not as fun as being in the same room. And it also, you know, it can be frustrating at times because stuff that's really easy and only takes a minute to do when you're in the same room, sometimes you have to wait a whole day, you know, particularly with the, the time difference between England and California. So I find myself, you know, waking up at four in the morning to check the latest version from John and then try to get back whatever I was adding to it, you know, before his day was over. I mean, there's a lot of instances of rock and roll, you know, doing big things at four in the morning, but it's usually when you've stayed awake that long, not when you woke up at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a sorry excuse of a rock and roller. It's, it's <laughs> when I wake up, not when I go to bed. 
You know, if, for what it's worth, though, I, like, so if it felt disjointed, it's definitely, I can't tell uh, when I listen to it. I mean, there are so, there are several different sides of this record as far as the feeling goes. I mean, on one side, the riffs are monstrous. I love them. It's a great riffs album. You're doing it all over the place. Uh, and I don't know, like, I'll just concentrate there for a second. For you, you know, a lot of attention does get paid on the lyrics and for good reason, they're, they're fun and they're interesting, but those riffs are always so catchy in themselves. How do you approach those? Is it just kind of a, one of those messing around on the couch sort of a things, or is it more meticulous? Well, most of the riffs are courtesy of John Parrish and a, a few of them are from Cool G Murder. And the way most of the songs were done with John was he he would send me kind of jams he was doing that that weren't structured like a song uh it, you know it'd be like a feel and and it would have you know probably a lot of the instruments that would end up on the final thing but it was all just kind of a formless jam so when he sent me one that I responded to and that excited me then I would start to put it into a more of a song format, or at least in my mind, a song format. So I would say, you know, let this part go on twice as long, cut this part in half, cut this part out completely, mute everything here, take this instrument off for this part, add something on this part, that kind of thing. And then once I got it into a form that felt more like something that could have singing to it, then I would write the melody and the lyrics with it. Well, I said, and, and just the feels, the other side of that, and, and it sounds like maybe, it, I'm guessing probably came around the same way, like Grandfather Clock, probably my favorite song on the record. The groove of that, like, and that's the other side, when when maybe there's not, you know, as, uh, as prominent of a riff per se, you still get these songs that have these, you know, great grooves to it. Um, like the feel of So Anyway, which is, you know, more of a slower song, but it's got that, I don't know, sounds. Like, it reminds me a little bit. Do you remember the TLC song, Digging on You, by chance? I remember the title, but I don't, I can't remember the song. Whatever that sound is going on in So Anyway, that, you know, whatever. Um, like, it's it's so similar to that. And well, that, That's a, a pretty unique John Parrish song, I think, in his catalog in that, it it doesn't have the riffs or the you know mm-hmm. the the fuzzy garage rock side to it, but it is in my mind where I wanted it to be because it was so pretty. Uh, I wanted it to I wanted to write like a really just straightforward melody and lyrics that could have been sung by like a classic '70s soul act, you know, like Gladys Knight or something. And but it's what what set it apart was that it's that kind of song, but it's completely in the trashy, fucked up John Parrish world. <laughs> you know, what's a little bit interesting in that is, as I was referencing TLC, when they wrote those songs for Crazy Sexy Cool in the 90s, they were also looking at 70s soul, a la Gladys Knight and stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's always a good place to look. Yeah. Interesting, just meeting point, I, I guess. So then on the lyrics, what you're talking about, you know, where you really shine here and step in. I sometimes, and, and I've always had this, have a hard time knowing exactly where your character ends up in a song. 
Like even when it sounds like it's going okay, maybe it's not. Or when it's not going okay, maybe it is. Um, I'll, I'll just broadly ask, how's this guy doing? How's the extreme witchcraft dude doing on this album? I mean, I'm not sure if there's one dude, you know. I, I think that it's, you know, some songs are pretty autobiographical and some aren't at all and some are a mix. And I think that's been true of every album. So, I, I you know, for me, it's just song by song. I don't... I, I don't think I could generalize a, a character through the whole album if he's okay or not. You know, it ends with him uh, being remorseful for being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, At least he's remorseful for being an idiot. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully he'll bounce back from that. We'll see. <laughs> Is Steam Engine about humanity's demise? Hmm. Well, to me... I wasn't, it was one of those things where I wasn't conscious of what it was about. It just kind of came out. And then, but when I look back on it, I think what I, what was inspiring me was um, my own demise, really, or just everyone's demise, uh, not humanities per se, but an individual's uh, getting older. And, you know, that there's, thing that you hear occasionally about you know older people you know like you see an old lady walking down the street and you think there's an old lady but she probably doesn't feel like an old lady inside she feels very similar to you know the young lady she once was and, and you know I can recognize that in myself that I'm getting older but I don't feel that different you know and I, I still feel quite vibrant and um, so I guess it's sort of about mortality or that kind of thing I think I can handle that better than all of humanity's demise like whatever you just said actually sounded more hopeful uh, in a weird way if that yeah. makes sense yeah I mean it's not about, <laughs> yeah it's not about the end of the world it's about the end of your world right <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting you said that I hit a milestone this year I mean I just hit 40 and I know you're on the way to 60. Um, my, I lived with my great grandmother for a little while and she was in her eighties. And I remember her telling me exactly that, that she didn't feel any different than like her thirties or something. Like yeah. That. And it's, it's hard for us to imagine that because everybody looks so old mm -hmm. and you just think like, Oh, they're, they're thinking, you know, the way they're, the way they're being and everything is old too, but that might not be the case for them. It's, it's also one of those, interesting moments as a songwriter um and again you've got decades of experience with this uh but steam engine talking about you know like at at first listen it almost sounds like this is something that you know just that your what do you call that stream of consciousness you know that it's not meticulously written out or something like that but at some point with this song with all of your songs and probably because of moments like this when you're in interviews that it does have to play out into something is, is that like does the song have to be about something no i don't think anything i don't think you have to be conscious of what it's about and i love that songs can be interpreted differently by each listener you know well on the lighter side of things what's the appeal of strawberries and popcorn is that really a thing for you well it was really a thing one evening uh, it was inspired by a very different situation than is portrayed in the song uh, you know, I'm father of a now four-year-old, and often my own meals consist of whatever he 
left over from from his eating meals and snacks during the day. And and one evening I realized I hadn't had anything to eat in a while and I should have something for dinner. And um, I just didn't feel like cooking anything. And I saw his half eaten strawberries and popcorn from earlier. And I just thought, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to eat, eat that for dinner. <laughs> I have to say, I really enjoyed it, by the way. It was a good combination. And then it just led to me cooking up a, a different scenario for that, for the song where it's about someone who finds themselves in a new situation where they're alone and they can call all their own shots and, and fuck it, I'm going to eat strawberries and popcorn for dinner if I want to. <laughs> like, I understand sweet and salty. That's obviously just not two yeah. of the things that I would have expected. Yeah, it was, it, it's, uh, I think people should try it. All right, there it is. Yeah. From the, uh, the mouth of the man himself. We, so, so we talked about this a little bit. I, I did want to hit on it uh, here too a little bit because Soul Jacker, it's just like, it just sounds like it's coincidental that it, it just happens at the 20th anniversary. And I, I personally, I do love the big round anniversaries, like looking at it and putting it in that scope and everything. The titles of the two albums, Soul Jacker, Extreme Witchcraft, if you want to, they kind of play together very nicely. And I, I'm asking through that lens, uh, this question, um, did this album speak specifically to that one in any sort of way, sequel-esque or just? Yeah, they are both, they are kind of spooky titles, both of them, you're right. Um, yeah, it's a total coincidence that it just happened to be 20 years, I wasn't aware of that. And, you know, I don't think this one is a sequel per se, but it's, maybe a continuation in some of the um, sound influences maybe or whatever. It's um, fun to go back and I, I, you know, I, of course I listened to that one again, as I was thinking about this new record, reading up a little bit about it, some of the history, whether the wiki stuff is true about uh, the label telling you there was a lack of radio friendly singles. It's sort of mind blowing because. Yeah. No, that it's, was all true. Yeah, because it, I guess that eventually means this is an album that succeeded despite the record company. It, it was like, I think a lot of my albums at the time that it came out, it was, you know, I mean, it, at the time too, it was, it was the fourth Heels album, I think. And it was a quite a jarring left turn from the previous albums. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't know what to make of it at first because it was just like, wait, this is the Eels, you know? And then, um, and yeah, it didn't do very well commercially, which, you know, of course I'm used to. <laughs> I was like, whatever. You know? uh, but also like uh, some of our albums, that, you know, over the years, that's the real test is like, it, it took on a life. And, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, really like that album i mean there are just songs out there like i can't imagine us not having uh some of the bigger ones especially when you know we look at fresh feeling i mean what a classic that's not really funny it's so great i was listening to the um the bonus songs on there i write the b-sides and, and hidden track and just thinking about it even how you know sort of meta you know genius that was you know having those two things that we don't even really have these days uh by title anymore b-sides and hidden tracks by the way Oh, yeah. Good point. No wonder it was 20 years ago. <laughs> no wonder it was 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, speaking of anniversaries real quick, it's the 30th for a man called E. Oh, really? Jeez. Yeah. It, yeah. 
do you still feel like do you feel any connection to songs once they get past a certain age like something well let's take that one do you feel, still feel any connection to that record that one goes a little too far back for me really you know it's <laughs> that's so so long ago and then i don't it's it's probably not my favorite if i listen to it now just because of the production on it you know because because the early 90s was really still the late 80s sure and the the 80s were was not my favorite uh, era for production other than you know prince i didn't hear it like that uh, fortunately i guess i don't know because i mean of course i'm going to hear it differently than you heard it you know you're inside it's right yeah i just remember making it you know yeah any memories from the tori amos tour and, and i'm asking specifically because uh just coincidentally she's my guest on my wfbk show tonight <laughs> so oh, well yeah. please tell her i said hi long time no see um i have nothing but good things to say about that it was an amazing experience for me because that was my first ever tour and the first time i'd ever performed live anywhere as a frontman in a band previous to that i had only been in virginia as a drummer and so um you know and i got i got signed to my first record deal with that resulted in a man called eve the first album coming out without ever performing live there was no you know I didn't do any shows for the label or anything and so they were the label management and everybody was very nervous like we don't know if this guy nobody expected me to be a, a good live performer and so the, you know the very first time i ever performed i was uh, the there was a lot of dates on the tori amos tour and the first i remember the first night i think it was in louisville kentucky actually right here i think so yeah what wow yeah. and and um you know it went well and then the whole tour went great it went so good that you know we were the opening act and we would often get called back for an encore which of course is a rare thing for an opening act and and tori was great and it was a it was just a good great experience yeah that's one of those you know time traveling uh, if if it's a thing, if it were a thing, however you want to say that, uh, I'd probably drop in on that tour. I'd be one of those, like two artists that I love so much, you know? Yeah. You could just tour together again, make it easier for me. So. Right, well, tell her that. I will. I'll put in the word for you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm still opening. <laughs> it's a co-bill now. Come on. It's yeah, a co-bill. See what she said. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of wrap up with that too, because uh, this will all lead to a new tour, the 22... Uh, 2022 tour that you've uh, announced is this is this allowing you to i mean are you going to be paying as much attention to earth adora is it sort of touring two albums yeah i mean it's it's going to be tough because now we got we got new songs that we're dying to play from two albums so it's going to be uh, hard to figure out the set list but it'll be fun well i look forward to it um i always look forward to it e uh, I love Extreme Witchcraft. Uh, I love Earth to Dora too. We didn't get to talk about, I didn't do an interview with you for that one. So I'll just throw in that compliment now as well. And we'll end this the same way that I just began it. I love what you do so much. Thank you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Yeah. Always great talking. Uh, we'll see you around. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. 
There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. All right, now let's back it up just a couple years, few years. 2018, that's when uh, Mr. Everett and I got on the phone to talk about the album that came out that year, uh, The Deconstruction. Uh, we also got into the hiatus that preceded the record and its themes. Uh, let's see, uh, receiving the Freeman of London honors. His relationship with Steve Perry and John Hamm, and at that point, the 20th anniversary of Electroshock Blues, part two of Kyle Meredith with Eels. How you doing? I believe now I'm talking to a free man of London from what I've uh, just read on the internet. Seems like a very big honor. It's true. Oddly enough, it's true. It's, I mean, you know, nobody knows what that means in America, but it, it's the same thing as like the key to the city. Oh, okay. I try to impress like my British friends and rock stars. Like I said to Pete Townsend, uh, "Are you a Freeman of the City of London?" And he said, "No, he's not." And the best he got was the key to the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> You've so, traded. Like I don't get it. Like so, I've, I've nominated uh, them to give this honor that they've bestowed upon me to this up-and-coming young talent, Pete Townsend. <laughs> I'm here to help call attention to the the, new, the newbies. Yeah, we appreciate your service. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, for what it's worth, though, I mean, a key to the city is not nothing. And, and you're talking about one of the, you know, the, the greatest cities in the world right there, the biggest cities in the world. You know, that's how does that come about? Like, did someone nominate you? Yeah, somebody um, in the you know government or whatever. I don't know how things work in England, but somebody nominated me. And, uh, you know, I, I'd never heard of it before. It's, it's just something that came up on our last tour. And we looked it up and everyone said, like, yeah, you should do this. It'll be fun. And it doesn't really do you much good. It's got all these ridiculous things about, like, if you're picked up by the police drunk, supposedly they don't uh, put you in jail. They put you in a taxi home. <laughs> I don't know if that's still true. That might be from, the you know, the 1700s or something. And you can herd your flock of sheep across London Bridge. <laughs> uh, there's stuff like that and i was hoping like it would come in handy when i'm going through customs which is always a tough customs experience the the british uh customs they're very you know british so i tried it once and they weren't impressed you know i said you know by the way i'm a freeman of the city <laughs> London, and, and the lady was just, just rolled her eyes uh but i i did have some luck with it the, this last time i i tried it just a few weeks ago and uh i i brought the uh Freeman tie and cufflinks that they recently presented to me at our show in London. I, I brought that with me into the customs, and uh, they looked it up on the internet and everything, and they, they actually seemed sort of impressed. So it, I feel like it kind of helped me get through a little faster. Somewhere in there, right? We have. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure, like any other mayor, our mayor probably does present keys to the city. But we, I know we have the Kentucky Colonels around here, where you could be nominated and become a colonel uh and you could as well and it's probably somewhat similar to the same thing like i have friends that are colonels but i don't know that it gets oh, them any kind of discount you know i want to be a colonel who can nominate me because i just want everyone to have to call me colonel everett we can make that happen i have i know people <laughs> that can make uh, that happen make that happen please yeah we'll do we'll do anything anything for e uh, Thank you. yeah well let's get uh, the music part of this too because uh eels have a new record with the deconstruction it's uh it's another beautiful record 
that I've really been enjoying mm-hmm. around here. And there is, I guess, there's a bit of story to this one. Is that right? I mean, there is there is a definite what four year kind of space in between, uh, which yeah. meant something. Yeah, I mean, I just got to the point where I was just, you know, I hit a wall. Normal people take vacations every once in a while, and I was going for twenty, twenty five years nonstop, and I just never took a break. And at some point, if your life is too one sided, it catches up and lets it be known to you that something needs to stop or change. So I just got to that point where I realized, like, oh, I've been paying attention to one side of life only pretty much for too long. And so the uh, songs in the meantime, though, you didn't stop writing, obviously. Mostly I did. I mean, my goal was to not work at all as much as possible or if I did for it to be work that I don't normally do. And But I did give myself the luxury of, well, if, if I wake up one day and I'm so inspired, like I feel like i got to write and record a song now six months before the next one would happen. And I never, for a long time, during that four-year break, I never thought like I'm making an album. I was just making songs here and there. And it wasn't until very late in that, during that break, that it started to rear its ugly head, and I realized there was an album forming. It's a really good album. That first line, I mean, it's a hell of a line to start with. The deconstruction has begun, time for me to fall apart. I know. I was just, you know, I was, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about like what I was kind of going through by having that break, and uh, I was, you know, just looking at my life in the last twenty-five years. Like, what have I done wrong? What have I done right? What could I do more right? And I was thinking about how, like, you know, what's underneath all the defenses we spend most of our lives building up? What's what's our core? And, and I was thinking it was maybe like a an innocence that we all start out with. And I was just trying to tear everything down and get back to some of that. I really enjoyed a line you wrote on uh, the Eels website, uh, which I guess is sort of what you said you put in place of the bio this time around, because you said, and, and there are times you have to tear something apart to find something beautiful inside. And it sounds like that's sort of what you're getting at right here. Well, I, you know, another way to capsulize it is uh, you could say, uh, I f- feel like we should all strive to be more Mr. Rogers and less Donald Trump. Absolutely. <laughs> A hundred percent. That might then lead into another song that really caught my ear because that was In Our Cathedral, which you also talked about. That that sort of follows that line, doesn't it? That one to me is about that we all have a place we can go to within ourselves. And all it really is is the ability to make the choice to accept your reality, whatever it is, and decide to be happy with it. Which is a little bit easier said than done these days if you, you know. For sure. If you've got any yeah. kind of news on whatsoever for any kind of media, you know, I mean, I live sort of in an NPR yeah. world over here, but it's still inundation. Yeah, it's hard. But, you know, like I, I look at it like, you know, every day, you know, you turn on the news and it's just such a shit show. And then all you can do is, you know, try to pitch in however you can in your way and then, then look at the good things about whatever's going on in your life. I'll bring up a, another interview I did last year. Um, since you've already name dropped one, I'll name drop two. But uh, okay. uh, I, I was talking with Guy Garvey from Elbow, and they had just released their record last year. And I found it very interesting that, you know, while we were all experiencing, you know, the election madness, he had just fallen in love. And so what you have is this really interesting filter for how he saw the world at the time, because he was very much in his love bubble. Uh, I kind of wondered if, if you were going through something similar, because I, I don't know if I have the timeline right. I, I know you're 
uh, you're a father, um, and, and I think uh, you, you have a very young child, which would mean, like, while all this was going on, you, you might have been very hyper-focused on something else, which seems to be a luxury, actually, to me. First of all, that, that's not really uh, on the same level as Pete Townsend name-dropping, so I feel like I'm winning <laughs> so far. Absolutely. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the effort. It's very cute. <laughs> Maybe I hope your next one's going to be. Um, yeah, no, I totally had that experience with like basically around the time Donald Trump became president, or it looked like he was maybe going to become president. It was, you know, when I found out that I was having my first child. And it's just, you know, it's just terrible. <laughs> You're like, okay, welcome to Earth, little guy. Donald Trump is the president and everything is complex. But uh, yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. I, I guess that would sort of affect, you know, the way. If, if you're going to be writing about kind of worldviews that, you know, it, it would sort of, I don't not mask it. Mask it isn't the right word I'm going for here, but it would definitely maybe offer some escape if you needed it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I try to stay positive about all this by thinking about how it's a cyclical, you know, history and everything goes off course for eight years or so, and then it all has to be reversed. And it's, you know, it's daunting to think about how much work ahead to repair all the damage that's being done. But, you know, you got to try to stay positive. There are a few little instrumentals on the record that I wondered if they're strategically placed because it almost feels like, you know, if you're thinking of it like a play. And it's sort of how I listen to it. I'll put it that way. You know, I, I sort of listen to this in a way like a little play. And the instrumentals are when the curtain came in. And, and when it came back out, it was almost like every single time was a whole different, whole different scenario. Was, is, is that my own perception or was there any kind of strategy in, in what was going on there? I really like doing that little instrumental vignette thing uh, for many reasons. Uh, you know, it's like sort of a palate cleanser sometimes. You need to shift gears between two certain songs or it's just a bridge in the story sometimes. And the thing that I really like about it is with instrumental music versus music as vocals, there's it's just pure feeling because there can't be anything cerebral about music that doesn't have lyrics. So it can take, you know, the listener, like, really just to their own place, and it can serve them in any way that they needed to serve them at that point. I mean, of course, it's also, like, such a, you know, we're talking about such an antiquated concept here that I'm, you know, really laboring hard over getting the flow. And, the, you know, I'd like, for me, it's really important, like, how many seconds of silence is in between each song and, you know, versus the reality. Then it comes out, and it's like, oh, most people aren't really, like, playing an album all the way through, you know. <laughs> But still something that I, I really feel strongly about making, even if nobody listens to it that way. Well, it's certainly how I heard it. I mean, that's that's how I... I'm not 20, you know, I'm 36, so I guess I'm still writing that line, but uh, it's still an album world uh, as far as I'm concerned. So I appreciate the time you put in. I really do. So I, I also like to kind of play around the big number anniversaries. I really enjoy that. Uh, it, it's It somehow works naturally with what's going on here because uh, Mickey uh, Petralia, is that how you say the name? Petralia? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know it was part of the production for some of this. Uh, first time since Electroshock Blues, which just so happens to be on its uh, 20th anniversary right now. Were you guys aware of that, that it was going to hit like that? Wow, even stranger, yesterday, you know, I just got home from our two-month tour, and yesterday I was pushing my uh, my son Archie through the neighborhood in a stroller and just happened to run into Mickey, who was sitting in traffic at a traffic light and pulled over and we caught up for a while. It's the first time I've seen him in like a year. And no, I had no idea that there was an anniversary. Yeah, so it just... Uh... We, could have, we, could have, we would have celebrated yesterday had we known. 
<laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that was um, you know such a great record in itself, and uh, you know from what I always knew about it, uh, you know, it was written during a dark time, and and I don't know if you go back and listen, but I, I sort of. I'm curious, you know, if, if you, does that still affect how you hear a record like that? You know, even one so long ago about what was going on during that time? Uh, I had to listen to it once a couple of years ago when um, they, they put out a uh, DreamWorks box set of vinyl that had all been remastered and I had to approve the mastering. So I had, I did have to sit down and listen to it. And that's always a weird experience. And, and very often I'm just, you know, have a hard time listening to old stuff because I'm just like disappointed about thinking about all the stuff that I could have done differently and, you know, the usual tortured artist stuff. But I was kind of struck by, um, it was, you know, it was painful to listen to a lot of it because of the subject matter. But I was also kind of struck by how much I liked a lot of it too. I really liked like the rawness and the homemade feel and how it was all just sort of stitched together in a weird way. And some good guest appearances on there. I mean, what, uh, T-Bone Burnett, Lisa Germano, uh, John Bryan, Grantley Phillips? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the thing I did with uh, T-Bone and John Bryan on one song was uh, it's very. this is a very crafty idea that other artists should consider uh, as a way to get free producers. So, like, I, I, produ I produced a song called uh, Climbing to the Moon, and I invited T-Bone to play bass on it and John Bryan to play organ on it. And then you just sit back and watch them. They can't stop themselves. They just start producing. And, <laughs> <laughs> but you're not paying them a million dollars. You're paying them a session for you to play an instrument. Very smart. It, it, listening to it again recently kind of made me, like, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, all for creating new sounds and, and artist exploration. But there's one sort of thing from that era that I miss these days that no one really tackles anymore. And that was that... That upright bass jazz thing that everyone sort of incorporated around that time. Uh, John Bryan was doing it with a lot of people, but uh, you know, and I, I know it was in a at least a couple spots I think during this album too. And I don't know where that came from. Like, do you have any sense of why that was such an interesting, popular sound at the time? I don't remember being conscious that it was a thing. That was a phenomenon. I don't really remember that. Who was doing it? Oh, that was uh, yeah, like Fiona Apple's first record. Was just like this filled with it and it just seemed like everybody like um there was a trip-hop thing going on and everyone was sort of putting these little jazz inflections in, in in some of their songs and i think a lot of it came down to you know that upright bass the sound that that gives doty was doing it of course a lot with so coughing and it, oh yeah right yeah, yeah it just seemed to be everywhere well, luckily there. luckily it didn't really catch on <laughs> Not a fan here, I see. Not uh, not sharing in my uh, love and experience. No, I love I, I love upright bass, but I, you know, just the way the way you're describing it is like a like an alternative rock. Yes, you know, match up with it with jazz sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> it's exactly what it was, but you know, and and maybe it was a time and place for me. It it really sat right with me at the time, and uh, I don't know, I got good memories of that one. Anyway, another one I, I wanted to bring up too, as far as the big anniversaries, uh, Broken Toy Shops twenty five this year. Uh, I think it's out of print. Do you can does any of that early stuff ever get the re release treatment? Do you do you look back on that and say, yeah, let's put it out there again? I don't, you know, I mean, it might still be in print for all I know, but it's uh, when when the Eels came out, those two. E records like got reissued, and you know, they're you know, it was a different company, and so they're like, Yeah, let's cash in on this. That's how it works. But I mean, that was you know, that record was so completely unknown and buried. You know, like it, they put it out in December, it was I think 1993, and uh, it just quickly died. And then I got dropped from the label, and that was the end of that. So that's 
That's a very obscure record. It's too bad. It really is too bad. Uh, I don't know. Probably rightly so. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I haven't heard it in a long time. I, I And I will freely admit, I don't quite remember what's on it, but... Um... You know, I'm a fan, so... I don't either, and I, I kind of want to keep it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> compliments, by the way, you know, it, it was kind of fun turning on the old Netflix box. We watched all of Love, seeing you pop in and out of there. Uh, good experience for you? Oh, it was a great experience. That was super fun. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it was half fun and half terrifying because I'm, you know, I'm not an actor, so... But I got so lucky to be able to do it with all these really great actors that were giving me tips and helping me learn yeah. you know to like to be able to act with Gillian Jacobs who's just such a good actor and she's like you know teaching me it's fantastic so you've got the lessons learned now I mean you, you want to do more of that is there any kind of aspiration to try to go further down that path I mean I would if it was something that felt like a, a good fit I mean that one wasn't that big a stretch I was basically playing an even more pretentious <laughs> version of myself just you know pretentious hipster Silver Lake musician. So I don't know what other kind of parts, you know, I might be good for, probably, you know, criminals. Well, while we're, you know, sort of in the Hollywood land there, too, I'll ask this one directly. Is John Hamm an Eels groupie? Is that what's going on here? Well, I wouldn't call him a groupie because that would <laughs> that, that would speak of, you know, we, there was some sort of sexual thing or something going on. And, and while I do find him an extremely handsome man, I, it, it hasn't gone that far. <laughs> so just a just a fan. Well, yeah, it turns out that uh, he's. I think he's been coming since like the E before the E old days. Like you know, I think he might be one of the only guys that has broken toy shop. <laughs> I know he's a big fan. I, I I have no John Hamm story. I stood next to him while watching My Morning Jacket at Bonnaroo once, but that's that's about that's it. A, so. That's a John. That's a great John Hamm story. <laughs> he stood there with his chin out because he has a pronounced chin. Uh, like he was analyzing every song, and uh, Galifianakis was right in front of him, singing every single word to every song. So it turns out uh, Zach's wow. a MMJ superfan. I, I wasn't aware of that either. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? Uh, by default, you've also sort of become the uh, the expert on where is Steve Perry these days. I don't know if you know where Steve Perry is these days, but uh, we're hoping you might have an update on if uh, if we're going to hear more from Steve Perry in the future. I don't know. You know, we, we have stayed in touch, but he's been a little bit elusive lately i don't know what is going on with him and you know he moves in mysterious ways it's going to be sort of an interesting unexpected part of your career though the uh yeah i mean you you can be associated with anyone because it's ultimately a you know small industry after you've been in it for a while but i i don't know did that one seems like it would be a bit more peculiar to me at least that was a real yeah that was a real curveball and it was a good lesson for me though because I, when I grew up in Virginia and Journey was on the radio all the time, I always hated it. I was not into it. It just wasn't my cup of tea. And so when he became unexpectedly a part of my life, I was always sort of fighting it. And the good lesson in it for me was now I love Journey. You know, as as a result of knowing Steve and the experiences we've had and then playing the songs with him, it, uh, now it's, you know, when it comes on the radio, I, I turn it up. So... You just never know, you know. So it's it's a nice thing I think about getting older too. Like some of your rough edges soften, and you start to see like, oh, why why was I being so uh, difficult about that? There's no need. Let let some of the love in. 
tell you, having a kid changes things quite a bit as well, because never ever would I expect to put on Starship. But once my, he's now 10, you know, a couple of years ago at eight years old, you know, he falls in love with, we built this city and all of that stuff. And I went through the same thing. It was like, you know what? That's really fun. Is it going to get that bad for me? This is bad news. No, it's absolutely. I'm going to have to build this city on rock and roll. (laughs) You'll be knee deep in that hoopla, as they say. Oh, don't, man. Don't fight it, E. This, you've taken the lesson that I just gave as an example and, and taken it to a ridiculous extreme. <laughs> well, I'm going to end it here. with uh, So, you know, you started out with Pete Townsend. I didn't win with Guy Garvey. But I have had Robert Plant on my show this year, and I did dance with Bono at a sound check. So hopefully that's... Okay, you win. I can't compete with dancing with Bono. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you something. The Who is top five all-time favorite bands, uh, and I've never, ever, ever met any of them. So Well, let's call it a draw, then. Let's call it a draw. This was uh, a lot of fun, E. I really appreciate this. Uh, A big congratulations. It's great to have you back on The Deconstruction. I love what you do, and I hope you just keep on doing it. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care out there, and we'll see you around. You too. All right. Bye. And again, my thanks to E. The new album is called Extreme Witchcraft. Highly recommended. Thanks to you as well uh, for checking out the entire episode. Look at that. You made it here. You made it to the end. You're a fan. You should hit that subscribe button because... Why? Because we put out three new interviews every single week. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR... YouTube for the video versions. I'm really going to have to come up with a melody and make that a song sometime. A jingle, if you will. Uh, Hit that subscribe button after that. Head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. An hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots. That's uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Good to talk to you again. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Hey there, it's Kyle Meredith from Kyle Meredith With. After you check out the latest episode of my show, uh, be sure to check out some of our other great programs on the Consequence Podcast Network, including Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY, and The Opus, Consequence's original documentary podcast exploring legendary albums and their lasting legacies. So head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.